Pints with Jack, Season 2, Episode 2. The Great Divorce, Chapter 1. The Bus Stop in the Grey Town. Friends, welcome to the Pints with Jack weekly podcast, where David and I have the distinct privilege of enjoying a drink together, unpacking the writings of C.S. Lewis, and discovering the truth and beauty of Christianity. We are currently in season two in unlocking the treasures hidden within our favorite C.S. Lewis work, The Great Divorce. For new listeners, my name is Matt, and I am joined by my friend David, whom I would never cheat out of his spot at a bus stop. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be able to. I'm, I'm English, and so we are professional cures, so we know all of the tricks. Yeah, you know, he he spent a lot of time focusing on this queuing, and that made no sense to me as an American reading this. Oh, it makes complete sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your worst ever queuing experience? I think the first time that I went to the DMV in California to get my temporary license and then to go back and take the test, I was there forever. I had seen in movies and TV shows, I knew that the DMV was not a place that people wanted to go to, but until I'd really experienced it, did I realize quite how terrible it really is. Well, so seeing as you chose something American, my worst queuing experience was British. Uh, and it was when I was spending my year abroad, I thought I'd broken my nose, so I needed to get an x-ray and your national healthcare system is a joke. And I spent nine hours in the waiting room <laughs> for this. Yes, yes. Um, for people that really like the idea of having free healthcare, all I'll say is sometimes you just get what you pay for. Having said that, I've been to quite a few emergency rooms in the United States, and they weren't exactly pleasant experiences either. That's true. I've been to, so I was in 13 emergency rooms before the age of 13, and many after that, but I didn't keep up one for one after that point <laughs> in my life. One other thing that I did want to share while we're talking about queuing there is a wonderful book out there. It's called Watching the English, The Hidden Rules of British Behavior. I think that's the tagline. And it's by a social anthropologist named Kate Fox. And it's the book that I always recommend for people to read if they really want to understand the way my mind works. Because it's serious science, but it's very lighthearted and it's very funny because we're talking about the behavior of the English. And in one chapter, she talks about what we call cue jumping, what Americans would describe as cutting in line. But what she said was hilarious. She said that when somebody cuts in line, by and large, the English won't comment upon it. Not directly. But the people in line will often look at each other, you know, with that look that says, can you believe she just cut in line? You know, there'll be some light tutting and in their heads, they'll be screaming blue murder. But it was the next bit that really got me. She said that when they sent someone in to cut in line, say to, to an ATM, and they'd say, put in their card and enter their code. And then they turned around and said, oh, I'm sorry, is there a line here? Suddenly, the entire queue would go, oh, no, 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 it's fine. They've become the most generous people in the world because they didn't want that social awkwardness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I want to go back to if you want to learn about David, read this book. I'd say if you want to learn about David, do a podcast with him every single week. That helps. <laughs> but I do need to read this book because actually after doing a podcast for a year now together, I'm not sure I know the inner workings of David yet. And I live with a, a British person in New York right now. So I, I really need to understand your guys' ways. Next time you're back here in San Diego, I'll send you back with the book. That's perfect. 
Well, so anyways, what about the quote of the week, David Bates? So as we said last time, the quote of the week is now going to be drawn from the chapter that we're going to be studying, something at the heart of what we're going to be discussing. And so with this one, I actually just chose the opening lines of the chapter. I seemed to be standing in a bus queue by the side of a long, mean street. The evening was just closing in, and it was raining. I'd been wandering for hours in similar mean streets, always in the rain and always in evening twilight. I would have chose a different one. Oh, it's a good thing I'm choosing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> when, we get, when we get to it, you can tell me what, uh, what quotation you would have chosen. I was about to tell you now, but yeah, I'll wait. And then I can tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> okay, well, what are you drinking today? Well, I'm going to need a refill after how long that intro took, but uh, Bacardi and Coke today. I'm still in Michigan, and the only option I had was this or Laphroaig again, and I am warming up to Laphroaig, but I was just craving Bacardi Coke. It's my, it's my favorite go-to drink when I'm just at a bar or something. Well, I'm drinking a little bit of Talisker, so cheers. Cheers. Although I should say I've got La Croix too. Although you, you did tell me and you were correct. That's how you pronounce it. Except La Croix on their website says it's pronounced LaCroix. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. They're wrong. <laughs> I looked it up out of curiosity. I remember Googling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I had heard that that was how they said you should pronounce it. I think they're wrong. And speaking of alcohol and toasts, uh, this past week it was Tolkien's birthday. And so I went out with uh, my friend Nelson from church, and uh, we stood and toasted the professor. Oh, did you really? Those of you who follow me on Twitter will have seen the link that I sent, which explains how to do this properly. But we should make an announcement real quick, too, before we jump into this chapter, that every week we release another video, so we encourage everyone to go check that out. And please go to the Pines with Jack channel and subscribe. The video we released is What is the Point of Christianity? Well, we need to get moving. So <laughs> yes, as we, we mentioned in the previous episode, we're shifting up the format a little bit. And like our friends over at The Lamppost Listener, each week Matt and I will be taking it in turns to give a 150-word summary of the current chapter of The Great Divorce. So Matt, it's your turn. So go for it. All right. Lewis is standing near a bus stop in a drizzly, deserted gray town at twilight. As Jack joins the queue, a couple have an argument and leave. A short man gets punched and limps away. A young couple departs arm in arm. A woman attempting to buy a spot further ahead in the line is cheated out of her money and thrown out of the queue. When the bus arrives, it's stunning. The driver is full of light, but this raises the ire of those in the queue. They fight to get onto the bus, but there's plenty of room. Lewis sits on his own in the back but is joined by a tousle-headed youth who says that the others will not like their destination. As he pulls out his poetry, Lewis realizes that they are now airborne, and the town is disappearing into the rain and the mist below. Excellent job. So in the quote of the week, I gave the opening lines to this chapter. Lewis finds himself in these long, mean streets. It's raining, it's twilight, and he's by a bus stop. When I read those opening words, it put me in mind of a few things. The first was Dante's Divine Comedy. It's this long narrative poem by Dante Alighieri, where he travels through hell, purgatory, and heaven. And we're going to be referencing this book a few more times before we're done reading The Great Divorce, because this was certainly one of the inspirations for Lewis. He really loved that work. 
But the Inferno, which is the first book in the Divine Comedy, begins with a very similar kind of tone, with Dante being lost in a forest. He says, Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. The other thing it reminds me of is Seattle, a place where I lived for a couple of years. It always makes me think of the cold, drizzly rain and greyness. And the last thing that it reminds me of is what we mentioned earlier, the DMV. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what, what does it evoke for you? Yeah, all of that first page, it evoked this feeling of a wandering. You, you hear this constantly in the millennial generation, this looking for meaning, looking for truth, looking for happiness, looking for joy. It, I just, I, I got this sense of the millennial generation, honestly, it's a little bit more philosophical, but we're all wandering, searching for some sort of meaning in life, and no one seems to be finding it in the world. Like, that's the sense I got from this opening page. Oh, and I should have mentioned too, by the way, that was what I would have chosen for the quote. In just as evening never advanced to night, so my walking had never brought me to the better parts of the town. That idea that you're constantly searching for something but it's never giving you the satisfaction you're looking for. And it made me think of our restless hearts are restless until they rest in thee, the human condition, the argument of dis- of hope, you know, all of that stuff is what I would have chosen. That's, that's pretty good. It's a, it's a solid silver medal. <laughs> I'll, I'll let us move on from that. Okay. Well, Lewis joins the bus queue. And this is, as we mentioned earlier, real British behavior. The British just love queuing. I've heard it often said that even if we are alone at a bus stop, we are still queuing. It's just a line of one. But the question I had for you is, why do you think he actually joins the queue? He never actually says. Interestingly, he, he did briefly. Oh? When I read this. Uh, but it was very minor, and I, didn't, I, I wasn't sure if it was meant to be a bigger point than not, but I had made a note of it. He said, and everything seems so empty, which is why I joined the queue. Mm. So he had been wandering around, and the entire gray town is very empty. He just saw a group of people here, which obviously was very foreign to where he's walking around, and it just drew him there, which I could be massively extrapolating, so I'm curious your thoughts on this, but maybe it's one of those where when you talk about Christianity, so if you think of that, what I mentioned earlier, these millennials were all walking around searching for meaning and truth, and we're trying to find that joy and that happiness. We're not finding it. Then all of a sudden you see a group of people that are together. You're drawn to it. Mm. Like I kind of got that sense. He's walking around this gray town that's empty. No one's around. And all of a sudden he sees a group of people. And he's like, you know what? I don't know anything of where this queue is going, but I just see people and I'm drawn to it because it's something I'm not used to. And it seems like it's going to be better than the current situation. Yeah. He can keep wandering around empty streets or at least have a little bit of fellowship with a group of people who appear to be waiting for something. So it it might be a good thing. (laughs) Exactly. And he has no idea what that something is. And while he's waiting, the line gets shorter and shorter as people leave. And it's kind of funny because he he even says to himself, it's like, oh, that's two more places. But again, (laughs) he's still not entirely sure what he's really waiting for or what's going to happen when this bus arrives or where they're going to go. But either way, he still thinks I'm winning. <laughs> Spoken like a true Brit. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the different kinds of people who are in this line and who leave. The first people we hear about are a couple. Lewis describes it like this. 
A little waspish woman, who would have been ahead of me, snapped out at a man who seemed to be with her. Very well, then. I won't go at all. So there, and left the queue. Pray don't imagine, said the man, in a very dignified voice, that I care about going in the least. I have only been trying to please you, for peace's sake. My own feelings are, of course, a matter of no importance. I quite understand that. The classic playing the martyr role. Exactly. Every now and again you overhear couples having this kind of an argument where they are each trying to outdo each other as to who is the biggest martyr. This is what makes this book so incredible and what makes a book like Screwtape Letter so incredible. Lewis knows the human condition really well. Mm-hmm. And when you're reading the chapters of these different people, especially later in the book, is, is some of them are developed in much uh, deeper magnitude. It's You're thinking... Wow, I, that is that's exactly what I do, and that's the same thing with screw tape letters. You're relating to the different chapters so well. Lewis just understands people. Yeah, I think that was because he read so widely. Yeah. He had he had peered through other people's eyes so often. But this couple, what's funny is it's very demonic in the sense of it's twisting something that's good because they're both trying to pretend that they're humble but they're really both being competitive. They're being the opposite of humble by trying, really trying to rub the other's face in their own humility. Yeah, there's a competition, which, yeah, is, is, is pride, not humility. I'm the most humble. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm the most humble. <laughs> but I think this pride, this is what we're going to see throughout this entire book. It's, it's the root behind all of the problems that the people have. It's going to be some manifestation of pride. Which is a huge chapter in mere Christianity, pride being the root of everything. Okay, so we've got rid of the quarreling couple. And next, a short man, after seeing Lewis, comments loudly to a big man in front of him that, well, this, is, this isn't the sort of society that he's used to. He's a, he's a bit of a snob. And when Lewis fails to respond to this, the big man, who we're actually going to meet again later in the book, he takes matters into his own hands and punches him. And <laughs> Punches Lewis or the short man? The short man. Okay. And he says a, a catchphrase that we're going to hear again later. I've got to have my rights. Now, earlier we were talking about the sin of pride, but a lot of people look at the great divorce through the lens of the seven deadly sins, of which pride is you know, the worst and the root. Here's a little quiz for you, Matt. Which of the seven deadly sins do you think this man is displaying? The big man? Yeah. I'm actually not looking at your notes right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is rough. I can't think of all... I can't actually think of all seven, so... Well, I fortunately wrote them down because I don't think I would know them off by heart. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth or laziness, wrath or anger, envy... I didn't think of wrath. I couldn't think of wrath. Is that it? That's it. Uh. And then after that little fight, another couple leaves. Lewis describes them as so trousered, slender, giggly, and falsetto that he couldn't really be sure of the sex of either of them. But here's the line. It was clear that each, for the moment, preferred the other to the chance of a place in the bus. That makes sense to me. Uh, the, The line that doesn't is why does he make a comment that I couldn't be sure of the sex of either? Like, it just... I mean, I get they're so giggly falsetto that I can't be sure. It's kind of a, just a joke, but it just seems like an interesting statement to make. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there are a few explanations you could imagine as to why he described them that way. 
Um, but I think the central point of it is the fact that they are choosing each other rather than a trip on the bus. In the hierarchy of goods, they are regarding each other as more important than getting on this bus. And so with that couple, if we were looking at it in the framework of the seven deadly sins, this one is probably lust. I would imagine so. And the last situation in the queue that we hear about is one woman who is afraid that there won't be enough room for them on the bus. She attempts to buy herself a spot further ahead in the line. Unfortunately, there's a double cross, and she's deprived of not only her money, not only the spot she was trying to buy, but even her original spot in the queue as the rest of those in line kick her out. I've been intrigued. Is that gluttony because she wanted a better spot, wanted more? Is that pride because she was competitive? I need to be closer up than everybody else. Is or that, that envy because yeah, she because... wanted somebody else's spot? Exactly. That's an interesting one. Well, when you're looking at both virtue and vice, I think very often one virtue will often blend into another virtue. And in the same way, one vice will often blend into another. What is it you would say really binds all of these people together? What would you say is the common thread between them all? <laughs> There's a couple words I could use. The first one, maybe not quite as deep, but I was thinking this the whole time, is, wow, this is just incredibly petty. <laughs> I'm hearing everyone talk, and I'm like, are you kidding me right now? So that would be part of it, but I think the truer answer would be there's there's a there's a competitiveness between everybody. There's this bickering back and forth. Mm-hmm. There's this, I mean, going back to pride, we know that pride is something he really wants to highlight through all of these. You can subtly see that strand through all of them. There's there's zero selflessness. There's zero compassion with a single one of these human beings. Empathy is a word that's not even in their vocabulary. Yeah, with the only possible exception of maybe the androgynous couple who leave because they prefer one another, Hmm. um, they are at least looking outside of themselves a little bit, although it's not especially clear if they're looking out to their lover as their lover or simply just for what they can get out of them. Yeah, that makes me think, remember when he talked about the diabolical sins versus the fleshly sins, at least some of the fleshly ones can actually pull you together. Drunkenness Mm -hmm. can bring people together. Uh, lust can actually bring people together, but the diabolical sins like pride automatically push you apart. But then I like how he still said at the end, but they're both bad, so don't do either. And so here, <laughs> even if they're not prideful, it's like, all right, it's still not good though what you're doing. Yeah, you're still walking away from the bus stop. And actually now I think about it, there is a couple in Dante's Inferno who are very similar to that couple. Um, they're in hell because they're love, quote-unquote, for each other, has turned in on itself to the exclusion of everything else. And Lewis says in, I think it's The Four Loves, he says, uh, when love becomes a god, it becomes a demon. Ah, I do like that. That's a good point. The thing that all of this makes me think of is, well, let's go back a little bit first of all. Listeners will recall that Lewis here is responding to Blake's work, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And in that work, Blake focuses a lot of his time on the question of desire because he saw the religious world of his time as being all about curbing desire and keeping it small almost as though desire is inherently bad or dangerous and he thought this was wrong and he thought that you should actually increase your desire and when you increase your desire it's a good thing because it it opens you up it enlarges your soul because you are incorporating other things into you into yourself and Over the course of The Great Divorce, we're going to see that Lewis, he doesn't thoroughly disagree, but he does correct Blake. 
he's, he's going to say that, yes, desire is good, but it needs to be rightly ordered. Because all the characters at the bus stop are really self-involved. And as a result, rather than enlarging their soul, it shrinks it. That would have been a better exercise rather than trying to think which people line up for which deadly sin. What is the true love they're searching for? Mm-hmm. That'd be an interesting exercise. And all this is very Augustinian. Actually, over Christmas, I read an, an essay about Lewis written by an Eastern Orthodox Christian, and he was commenting on the fathers of the church that Lewis had clearly read, and one of them was definitely Augustine. And Augustine had a Latin phrase, in curvatis in se. And it basically describes the life that is lived inward, turned in, curved in on oneself, rather than one that is turned outward towards God and other people. And everyone here on this queue, they're turned inward. It makes their soul small and petty. And we're going to encounter a lot more of these kinds of souls over the course of the book. It's this pettiness that caused many of them to leave the line. The line was considerably smaller because of these petty issues. They didn't even get a chance to ride the bus. And the bus is, as you said in the summary, magnificent. And the driver is described as being luminescent. But the reaction of those who have remained in the queue is really interesting. It, it seems to really annoy them. They say, oh, you know, he looks pleased with himself. You know, he's not behaving naturally. He thinks he's too good for us. And one guy even says that he wants to punch him. Yeah, I love when he says, who does he imagine he is? <laughs> Why do you think they respond so badly to him? Well, I think we all respond badly to people that we know are living in a way that's different than ourselves. I mean, how often do you see people that have different views than you or they're, they're living in a way that... I actually say a couple of things. Either we usually respond to people living differently than us because it makes us question whether we're living rightly or not. And we all, because of the way that we're wired as humans, we want to believe that we're living perfectly. And so you see someone living differently and that questions that worldview. So it's easier to just bash them and so that way you don't have cognitive dissonance in your head. But the other thing I'd say is there's also sometimes where you know that the person's living better than you, and that makes it hard too. So it's not that they're different, but you also just know that they're living the way you wish you were living. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's just frustrating too. So it's easier to bring them down than to acknowledge that you're falling short. You interpret their goodness implicitly as a challenge to your own. Yeah, that's exactly right. Completely agree. The other thought that I did have is I wonder if it's a little bit like Edmund and the food that they ate at the Beavers, they've somehow lost their ability to appreciate things that are really good. Yeah. It's, it's too overwhelming. Yeah, when you're turned within, you're not experiencing that joy, you're not experiencing that happiness, and you hate to see someone else experiencing it. And did you interpret it that the driver is an angel? Had I just read that without knowing where the book went, no. Knowing the whole book and having read it, I would imagine that he was an angel because more or less you kind of have to be if you've gotten to that point and you're coming back. Sure. But I don't know if I would have recognized that. But I would have definitely recognized this person's different and it's mm. from a different place if I'm being objective and just reading it in the moment. Well, everyone in the queue fight to get on the bus, but it actually turns out that there's plenty of room, which, again, just circles back to this idea of pride and it being inherently competitive. Yeah, if you get to heaven, I can't. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a zero-sum game. Jack sits at the back of the bus, but is immediately joined by a tousle-headed youth. And don't worry if you don't know what tousle-headed is. I had to look it up. Uh, it just means unkempt hair. 
I, I didn't know what it meant, but again, as I mentioned many times before, I knew you would look it up. <laughs> but this, this poet, he sees in Jack something of a kindred spirit, and he's got a rather condescending manner, and he comments that everyone else on the bus, he doesn't think they're going to enjoy where they're going. He thinks that they should just stay at home where they can have all the sorts of things they like, which are cinemas and fish and chip shops and adverts. But I love that Lewis, the Lewis character responds, do they like this place? Because that's a fair question. I mean, we always say, oh, you know, they're not, we're not going to like heaven because we enjoy all of the stuff that we're doing in our current lives. And we enjoy the fun and the, the frivolity and the, the easygoing life that we have and giving into our desires. But ask that question, do you really like this place? Do you really like your choices in that meaning? Do you feel that true joy that I think we all know is, potent- is possible? And the poet's response is, well, as much as they'd like anything else. And that reminded me of something that Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory. Because I spoke earlier about this question of desire and that desire is good. In The Weight of Glory, Lewis says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. You might say cinemas and fish and chip shops and adverts. When infinite joy is offered us, and this is what they're getting on the bus for. They're going to be taken to heaven. He says it's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they can't even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I've always loved that quote. What's funny is you can read in between the lines of what the poet actually says, and we'll find out more about him in the next chapter. He says he would have left the grey town immediately, but he wasted time trying to wake people up. And he says he wanted to try and form a little circle, but that everyone here had sunk to the level of their surroundings. Which does make me wonder, did he actually really want to leave? Or did he just try and found his own fan club? And when he couldn't get people to read his work, he decided that he was going to go somewhere else. His vanity is making him get on the bus so he can find some real recognition. I'm not sure if this is a point where I'm supposed to be very vulnerable or not, but as I... I agree with everything you're saying here, and that's a fair question to ask. And that's something that you and I are in a unique role where we're here and we're trying to share the Christian faith and we're trying to uh, bring people along this journey with us. But we could easily fall into that trap. Is our goal really to share the Christian faith or is it to get more people to listen to us and to subscribe Mm -hmm. and to like and to boost our ego? And I'd like to genuinely think we're doing this in a way that's right. That's a struggle for every person who's having these conversations, trying to evangelize, trying to share the Christian faith. You have to ask yourself, what is your true motive? Is it vanity or is it true selflessness? Mm -hmm. And if you get a four star, is that okay? (laughs) It's not okay. Five stars (laughs) are nothing. Maybe that's the test, David. (laughs) If you're not, you're not spreading the Christian faith, honestly, if you're not getting a few one stars. Matt, I really think that you're starting to be a Cyril Blalo kind of character. I used to to be able to get some reasonable criticism from you in the old days. Oh, that's great. There's nothing left but your (laughs) self-conceit. I do do love how Lewis is horrified when he realizes that the person he's sitting next to is a poet who is going to make him read some of his poetry. (laughs) He's oh, I don't have my glasses with me. Oh, shucks. Is this like the dentist for Lewis? He hates poetry just as much as he hates the dentist. Well, no, Lewis loved poetry, but I'm sure as a well-known author, he got approached very often by people wanting him to read their poetry. Ah, that's a very good point. Because there's clearly some sort of subconscious thing here that's manifesting itself in his writing. That makes sense. And also, next week when we dig into this tousle-headed poet a little bit more, 
I'm going to talk a little bit about the real-life inspiration for this character, and it's rather telling. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, we'll be doing that fairly soon because we've now pretty much covered the chapter. Lewis realises that the bus has taken off. They are now airborne, and we'll be picking that up again in Chapter 2. Perfect. Well, before we sign off, though, what about our haiku? We decided that we want to put this at the end. Yes. This was an idea that I stole from the Tolkien Road podcast. If you recall, a haiku is a form of Japanese poetry where the first and last lines have five syllables and the middle line has seven. I've got three haikus for this week. I couldn't quite decide which one was better. (laughs) So, waiting for the bus. The line is a nightmare. Is it worth the wait? The next one, joining the bus stop. Petty souls want their own way. The line grows shorter. And lastly, hiding here at the back. Desiring solitude. Oh no, a poet! (laughs) Listeners, if you would like to send in your own haikus for any of the chapters, please tweet us or email us. I would love to read some of yours out here on the show. I wouldn't be optimistic, David, that this is going to happen. But listeners, please prove me wrong. Everybody isn't as lazy as you, Matt. They're not (laughs) not turned in on themselves. They're turned outwards into God and the world and our podcast. Haikus don't take that long. That's true. So we've run a little long today, so we'll wrap things up quickly, and we'll see you all next week when we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.